Good morning. So the word for this morning is teachable. How many of you would regard yourselves as teachable? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says, About this time we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so the basic principles is basically what we're going to be going over in the foundations class um, beginning next Sunday and then the following Sunday. And, and well, actually, we skip one Sunday, right? You know, Father's Day. Right? But the three Sundays that we're covering the foundations class, it's all the basics of our faith. That's what that is. On this coming Sunday, we're going to go over um, our history um, and, uh, and who we are as a church. But the following two Sundays, and there, there are some studies that go along with that, are, are just the basics of our faith. It's where we stand according to the Word of God. Now, at some point, we have to grow from that. From the basics to the weightier things, the things that are deeper, the things that are broader, the things that are higher... We need to do that in order for us to, to know God's character. Now, as we know God's character, as we know his word, we apply that in our lives and we sharpen our discernment as we read here. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, you can't get good at whatever it is that you do unless you practice it. Um, the saying goes, some, you know, if you're out of practice, you get rusty, right? You, you have to kind of get back into the swing of things. You actually become undiscerning. And you loosen the effectiveness that you once had. Listen, the same goes for us spiritually. I gave you that word, teachable, for a reason, because that is exactly what we see in our text this morning as we're covering Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 41. Teachable. So note what it is that Jesus is doing in these verses. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9 and verse 30 as we continue going through the Gospel of Mark. In verse 30... It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. 
And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, but he was not following us, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward uh, to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, as we consider the words that we just read, Lord, and the account of the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his disciples, Father, we can't help but consider, Lord, just the the value of being teachable. Lord, someone can say many words, and yet if we do not yield ourselves, subject ourselves to the teaching, Lord, it is of no value whatsoever. They are just words that go in one ear and out the other. Lord, we, uh, we know that that is the reason why we have to continually come back to the basics of our faith. Because we fail to make an effort to understand and, and then apply these things to our lives, to practice them day in and day out, that we may sharpen our discernment of what is your good and perfect will for us. But I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us as we have fallen short of that. And I ask, Lord, that in this moment you would help us to understand. Lord, without understanding why it is that Jesus went to the cross, Lord, really nothing else matters. And yet there was a point with your disciples that they understood as they looked back at what you were saying and what Jesus did for us on the cross, that everything came together. Lord, for, for us, it's before us. Lord, it's already taken place. So help us to respond to that love that you have shown to us by being teachable. By participating in this time of teaching. Lord, by actively listening, receiving, seeking to understand and then learning how to apply, knowing what it is that you consider to be great and how it is that we are to consider others who are doing the work of the ministry. And so, Father, be with us. Fill us with your spirit. Go before us and teach us all that you have for us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, teachable. 
You know, in one sense, this word applies to a person, and in another sense, the word applies to subjects. Regarding a subject, we ask if a subject is able to be taught. There are some things that are so abstract that the idea of something is a, a moving target relative to the interpretation of the beholder. You know, you've, you've seen abstract art. What does it mean to you? That, that's not how the Word of God is. It's not whatever it is and however it is that you interpret it that it means that. That's not the way it works. The subject, if it's abstract, isn't defined by truth, you see. You just make it up as you go. Therefore, that would be an unteachable subject. A teachable subject is one that is clearly defined, can be understood, and known. Regarding a person, we ask if a person is teachable, able to learn by being taught. A teachable person would need to subject themselves to teaching and then apply themselves to actively learn from what was taught. That's what we read in Hebrews, right? Apply that which you have learned so that you may sharpen your discernment to know the difference between what is good and what is evil. You see, a teachable person seeks to understand, studies what is taught to further comprehend, and then be able to apply what is learned. If you don't understand, what do we do? Do we have any teachers out here? I see your hand. I see your hand. Right? <laughs> yes. You ask questions. You ask questions. You have to be inquisitive. Participate in that learning. Subject yourselves to the truth of God's word. You know, ultimately, a person proves they are teachable when they rightly apply what they've learned. You know, in that moment, what happens is you honor the teacher. That's what you're doing. Oh, it's such joy when someone applies what you've taught them, right? In whatever field, uh, you know, you choose to, to walk in your line of work. If you're teaching someone whatever it is that you know, oh, you honor that person by doing what they've taught you to do. A person who subjects himself to the teaching of the Bible, seeking to understand Scripture, is ultimately subjecting himself to God and is growing in their understanding of what God's standards for living are, how to glorify Him, because they desire to glorify the God who has saved them, demonstrating our love for Him. We begin to reflect his character because we're drawing close to him, applying what we've learned, fulfilling his will. Therefore, 
Christians are to study God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God, a worker, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, this is a verse that I quote often. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You cannot keep commandments that you have no idea about. Then truth becomes abstract. There's no abstract truth. Truth is absolute. And we need to learn it, know it, understand it, and apply it. And that proves that we know it. And we therefore know how to keep the commandments and show Jesus that we truly love him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, that is the very example that we see in the verses that we just read. A shepherd, our Savior, our Lord, who is truly exemplifying what it means to be gentle when gentleness is appropriate for he is lowly in heart. As we read through these verses in Mark 9, you may have noted that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And there are many things Jesus desired to teach his disciples. And so it was critical that they become teachable. As he is the teacher, he is the rabbi. They looked to him to teach them they needed to learn how to be disciples, how to follow him. It was critical that they become teachable. That the things they did not understand, they come to understand. The things they had wrong, they would at some point get right. And wrong perspectives would be made right as they yield to the truth of God's word. Jesus' teaching. May the same be true of us. And so the question again, are you teachable? You see, learning requires your attention. That is focusing on what's being taught. It's mental engagement. It's, it's active. It's not passive. Seeking to understand and thinking about what is being taught. And then asking questions to clarify whatever it is that you do not understand. And then, once you do gain understanding, actually practicing what you've come to understand. That is, that is why we're held accountable for what we know. It's not something that is just, okay, well, we love the Lord. And one thing that perhaps we've said ourselves, no one's perfect, Right? No one's perfect. I have my flaws. And we, we somehow use that to justify our habitual sin, whatever that may be. Well, I, I know that I'm, I'm Irish, and so therefore, I'm not Irish, but you know. <laughs> I'm Irish, so, you know, I may, my anger may flare up. You know that Italians are the same. Yeah, Italians too. And what's to speak of Germans? 
you know, and uh, you can go on down the line. You know, you know what I'm saying. No, listen, we can't do that. As God's people, we know that it's God's word that transforms us. We, not, we cannot be the same and then say that we are yielding to the authority of God's word. We can't be the same today that we were yesterday or a year ago. We can't say that. We're, that means we're unteachable. We're not yielding to his authority. He is not really governing us. We just kind of take his word and toy with it a bit. And make it fit whatever it is that we want to do in our own lives. And then we, we excuse ourselves and saying, that's just who I am. We can't do that. That doesn't glorify the Lord, does it? One other point. <clears throat> if upon making a mistake you are willing to listen to God's word for correction and turn from your way and to his, rest assured you will learn much. You will learn so much, even in your mistakes. We see that time and time again in Scripture. Let's see how Jesus teaches his disciples regarding his mission, God's perspective, and their conduct, and in doing so, builds up the foundation of their faith. C.H. Virgin said this, quote, While we are crying to Christ to be sanctified, may we not doubt his power to sanctify. Close quote. Three things. Jesus' mission, greatness. We'll see what that is all about and then reward. Let's start out with Jesus' mission, which was critical for them to know this. That is his disciples, as he told them over and over again, what it was that his mission was to accomplish the Father's will. Verse 30 again, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. You know, some scholars believe that this high mountain, this Mount of Transfiguration, was Mount Tabor. Now, Mount Tabor um, is south of the region of Galilee. And so it's not near the area that Jesus and his disciples were in previously, that is in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, what other scholars believe is that this mount that they went up, this the, the, the mountain of transfiguration was Mount Hermon, which is closer in proximity to Caesarea Philippi in the northern area of what we would know as Israel today in north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Mount Tabor is about 2,000 feet in elevation as opposed to Mount Hermon, uh, which is 10,000 feet in elevation or close to. And so just, and we don't know, we, we do not have it written in scripture as to which one it was, um, but more than likely it was Mount Hermon and not Mount Tabor. I say all this because we see here that they went on from there. So they were coming from the place where Jesus was transfigured. 
And as they came down and they went, they were going through the region of the, of the Galilee and going to Jerusalem. Jesus, at this point, set his face to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew it was his time. It was time to go and fulfill the Father's will. But at this point, Jesus didn't want anyone to know about his mission other than his, the apostles, the twelve, those who were with him. Because remember that many were following him because of other things that he was doing. Performing miracles, healing people, multiplying the food. And they were looking for a national savior. A political savior. Someone who would deliver them from Roman rule. It was after Jesus taught about himself being the bread of life in the synagogue in Capernaum, saying, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever, according to John 6.58. That upon hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it, according to John 6.60. And many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, according to John 6.66. And so if they knew that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he set his face to Jerusalem to be crucified. They more than likely would have attempted to stop him from going on to Jerusalem. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> We're going to make you our king. We see... God's favor on you. We see God's power working through you. And so he didn't want them to know. But he did want the 12 to know. He wanted them to know about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It was when many turned from following Jesus that he challenged the twelve. In John chapter 6, we read, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Just stop for a moment. Because you know that question is so relevant to today. What have you heard that is a difficult teaching? Let me explain to you. A difficult teaching found in Scripture is anything that you find difficult to do. Or just don't want to. To this, God will always challenge you. In the same way, you know, you wouldn't be the first one to turn away because those who draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him, those who believe him, who hope in him. Do you want to go away as well? Well, he asked this of, of the 12. 
it wasn't just any disciples. It was a challenge to the 12. He had chosen them, and yet he's asking them this question. Simon Peter in verse 68 answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew he had been rebuked, he had been admonished, he had been corrected, right? We know how it is that Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of heaven, but you are mindful of the things of man. He knew what it was to fail. But at the same time, he knew exactly who Jesus was. Although that needed to be more clearly understood by him. He challenged the twelve. I pray that you would never shy away from a challenge. Anyone bear down in here even more when you're challenged? When you're told you can't do something? <laughs> really? I can't? Well, that's good. Use that quality in a good way. Be stubborn in the Lord. When you get hit, don't go down and stay down. You need to get back up and keep going. Well, as we know, Jesus continually told his disciples what he was going to Jerusalem for. We know that they didn't like what Jesus was telling them. Peter didn't like what Jesus kept telling them about his death, burial, and resurrection. But it was because they did not understand the why that he kept telling them. That he was going to Jerusalem to be killed, to be buried, and to rise again. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, The gospel is a, a very fearless gospel. It boldly proclaims the truth, whether men like it or not. Close quote. Whether you like it or not. You can walk out of here and say, well, I don't like what the pastor said. I'm not here to win awards or attaboys or pats on the back. I'm not here for that. But what I hope is every single person will receive God's word for what it is. I make no apologies for it, and I know God makes no apologies for his word. It is absolute truth. You know, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus kept talking about his mission. The only mission that Jesus came to fulfill was to die on the cross, to pay in full for our sins. And without that, nothing else mattered. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 22. 
Indeed, under the, the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In chapter 10, verse 10, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And finally, verse 18, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It is the very purpose that Jesus came that we have eternal life in him. Salvation was everything. God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Apostle Paul to the Romans said this, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The, the, the disciples will at one point, quote-unquote, understand this saying. They will know without a shadow of a doubt. We know that. As Peter wrote, as John wrote later, we will know. But for now, they were afraid to ask him to explain. You see, fear keeps us from seeking to understand because we are more afraid to look like a fool than to be thought of understanding and then not really understanding. Just nod, right? No, ask questions. Too many people would rather make others think they know rather than ask questions to genuinely understand the Word of God. That's why I love, by the, by the way, uh, the men's studies. We gather together and we're able to sharpen each other. We're able to gain understanding. Women, you do the same in the women's Bible study. You gain understanding. Don't, don't come, you know, thinking that you have it all together and you have it all figured out. Because in the midst of our study, you can have a, a clear understanding, a better understanding of Scripture. Hopefully that's what you're gaining by your studies, right? You're growing. Um, know this, that in those studies, in that time of fellowship, you, you grow exponentially. Just imagine you gain from other people's study of God's word. Do it on your own, that's fine. But do it together with others, oh, you, you grow that much more. Listen, to be afraid to ask is actually to not be teachable. But Jesus' mission will be stated repeatedly and then acted upon. They'll see it and then understand it all. But for now, we know that for them, they were afraid to ask him. He stated his mission. Secondly, let's talk about greatness. Verse 33, as we continue, says, And they came to Capernaum, 
And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Greatness. Hey, listen, man has always desired to be great, to be admired, to be honored, to be recognized. Today, many see social media platforms as a way to be considered great in, the, in, in light of others, at the very least to their peers. But what about us that belong to Christ? We are his workmanship, according to Ephesians 2.10. Created. We were, we were being fashioned in order to do those good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and we should do those things. What, what about considering the fact that we were bought at a price with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20? In light of just those two verses, we ought to ask this question, what does God consider to be great? Not the world, because we can ask the world around us, right? We'll always fall short, by the way, and someone else will want to be greater than you. And so what happens is in the world, you will be put down by others in order for them to crawl over you. They will trample you underfoot. They will tear you down. And so we must ask, because we are children of God, believers in Jesus Christ, what does God consider to be great? Well, they were all walking through Galilee. You can imagine all of them together. And when they arrived at Capernaum, many discussions were had along the way. But one in particular is the one that's going to be addressed and Jesus turns as they reach Capernaum, asks the disciples, hey, what were you talking about? <laughs> I can't help but kind of chuckle at that. In a way, this is funny because their reaction to the question really revealed that they knew the discussion that they were having was not right. You know, when kids do something that they shouldn't be doing, they know, right? Even, hey, listen, even dogs know. We have this little thing running around. It's, it's about, I don't know, about that high off the ground, about this long. It's a little mini dachshund, long-haired. She is the cutest thing you'll ever see. And that is horrible. Well, she does something that she's not supposed to do. This is what she'll do. She'll peek around the corner. Because you say maple in a certain tone. And she looks around the corner. She knows she's in trouble. She did something that she shouldn't have done. Listen, if dogs know that. Rest assured that your kids know that too. That's why they're so quiet. Son, 
Don't say a word. Don't say it. And Modesto, I know that you and Moses and all your brothers wreaked havoc in that home, right? <laughs> and you were quiet too, right? We were all, I know me and my siblings, we were quiet when we did something wrong. And it's like, what'd you do? Nothing. These guys, these 12, these were disciples of Jesus Christ. They were with him. Hey, what were you guys talking about? I ain't saying nothing, Peter. You going to say something? No, not me, John. They were arguing about who was the greatest in front of Jesus. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Do you expect to be honored in the world where your Lord was crucified? Close quote. We're pursuing that greatness, right? Rewards, attaboys, accolades. Well, they kept quiet, which implies they were embarrassed. But Jesus knew. And what did he do? He sat down. You see, a rabbi in that day, when he had something to declare, something to proclaim, something to teach, the teacher would sit down. And the students would work up. They'd pay attention. And this is what he did. He sat down. There are two very important principles that Jesus taught them. What was considered great in God's kingdom. Because at the time that he sat down, he called the 12 to him. Remember, he asked the question. He got no answer. For two things. Number one, be last and servant of all. And number two, receive others like you would a child. First of all, be last and the servant of all. Uh, who is the, the uh, perfect example of this? Is it not the one who just sat down and was teaching them? Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our example. He is, he is the one who we need to look to and emulate. Do you only do or continue to do something if you are recognized and praised for doing it? You may not say it. I have not been acknowledged. I have not been recognized. Nobody knows what I'm doing. It seems like I just come in and out and do, what, do my thing. Do you only do or continue to do something if you are recognized or praised for doing it? Are you envious when you see others being recognized and not you? Oh, that's, that's a big test, I, I must say. <laughs> you know, I do the same work. I do much more. I sacrifice so much. There are people that do that at work. And trust me, it happens in the military often. I remember serving in, in the same rank, same pay, and yet one person can do 10 times more and the other guy's skating and they get paid and they get the same benefits and everything. It's like, right? You get frustrated. But how about us? Again, we're, we're, we're not in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Do you get envious when you see others being recognized and not you? Because for a believer, praise and recognition should be something that's just foreign it's not, it's not something we seek. 
It's not something we desire. Hey, listen, don't snatch my reward away from heaven. When you serve the Lord, serve him genuinely. And you're heaping up treasure in heaven. Shouldn't be sought after as far as praise and recognition. And it should not be expected. We also need to learn, though, in the same breath, how to receive recognition and praise. Gratitude. I'm grateful for you. I'm so glad. We need to learn how to receive. This is an example. Thank you. That is an encouragement to me. But all glory to God, isn't it? He gives the way. He, he gives the gifts in order to, to do whatever it is that, that it is for him that is of any value whatsoever. God is so good. But thank you so much. That's encouraging to just keep going. Listen, do you genuinely value others more than yourself? Genuinely. Not just in word, but do you show genuinely? You value others more than yourself, and then you don't expect anything in return. A good way to test this is whether you sacrifice for, for others or not, regularly. Not just once in a while. Each other, we, we are not charity for each other. Oh, I did something good, you know, for Eric, you know, I did get something good for you the other day, and I won't have to do something good for him for at least another year, right? No, we're not charity. That's not the point. You don't keep record of that. It's just an ongoing sacrifice. Wherever there's need, we just make ourselves available. Sacrifice is just what it is, uh, just so we know. Sacrifice, there's no sacrifice when everything is convenient. That's, I'm sorry, that's not sacrifice. Uh, if you have to lose a little sleep, that's some sacrifice. Lose time with your family, some sacrifice. Um, deny yourself the things that you want to do in order to do those things that you need to do, sacrifice. Constantly denying yourself. Do you do that regularly? Or is everything out of convenience? When you say, I'll pray about it, does that really mean, I'll see if it fits in to my life and, you know, I can fit this in along with everything else and it not disturb any of my comforts? Is that really what you're saying? Because I'm afraid that that's exactly what that means many times. I'm not willing to manage my time a little better, to sacrifice here and there in order to do those things that God has called me to do. You know, Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. The world's greatness accumulates servants for self. Heaven's greatness accumulates others to serve. I'm going to repeat that. The world's greatness accumulates servants for self. Heaven's greatness accumulates others to serve. It's constantly serving others. If you're ambitious, be ambitious for how many people you serve. 
how often you do things for others. I know the world has you focused on yourself, um, self-love and self-care, right? That is driven into us at uh, where I work. Self-care, 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 self-care. Oh, I just, I see it all the time. Listen, we love ourselves already plenty. We do. That's our problem, is we love ourselves too much. God's word keeps telling us to deny ourselves. The world is saying all is self-love, right? And the, the word is telling us, deny yourself. Oh, I'm confused. Which one do I go with? The, love myself and do everything that makes me happy? Or should I deny myself and sacrifice? Which one do I want to do? Of course, right? Love me. You love me. Everyone love me. Accept me for who I am. And don't tell me when I'm wrong. Okay? Just affirming in who I want to be. That's the world. It leads down a path of destruction and death. It does. That's what the word says. But God tells us, hey, listen, learn to deny yourselves. That's really, the person who is strong in the Lord will, will know how to do that. Deny yourself and serve others. The world will feed the flesh, therefore telling you to love yourself more, pamper yourself, and make sure you are taking needed time for yourself. And then make others understand your needs and insist on them. You can write it all over your Facebook page. That's what we do, don't we? You guys are laughing a little bit, but that's what we do. What did Jesus do? Here, here was his vacay. He'd go up on a mountain and spend time in prayer with the Father. And then he kept going. He kept going in, going in the work of the Father, fulfilling his will. And he met their actual needs, which he died for. He fulfilled the Father's will. What did the other disciples and apostles do? Well, remember the Bible is our example and guide to follow, not the world. You can read through the New Testament and you can see what the other apostles and disciples did. It was it's written about. They would meet with the Lord, pray, seek him. And what would they do? They'd keep going. They'd keep going. Secondly, receive others like you would a child. There was an object lesson that Jesus used here that was a child. So Jesus takes a child into his arms. It says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus takes his child into his arms and says... Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. In that day, a child was to be seen and not heard. They weren't considered much. A child also was referred to as someone who was immature in Christ. 
A person who's still being weaned from the milk of the gospel and not yet on the meat of the word of God. Discern this and receive them as you would a child. Caring for them and helping them as you would a child. This is part of esteeming others more than yourself. Valuing others more than yourself. You consider where some are and then take the time to come alongside them and bring them up. In the Lord, we have children here, and they require the attention of their parents and the careful attention of other adults, too. Afterwards, you're going to see little kids running around. Right? Do they not require our attention? We need to know where they are. I, first of all, I don't want to trip over them, number one, right? Number two, we need to pay attention to, hey, little ones running out the front door. <laughs> that might not be a good idea, right? Spiritually, we can do the same thing. We, right, as we grow in the Lord, need to pay attention. We need to discern who is, okay, this person's young in the faith. Let's come alongside them. Let's, let's help them along. Receive them. Don't neglect. Don't push them away. But receive. As you do this with others, you do it unto the Lord, is what he said. And ultimately unto the Father. And finally, reward, verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward uh, to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, keep in mind that the disciples had fa failed earlier to cast out a demon from a child. Remember that? But these guys that they're referring to are doing just that. We don't know exactly who they are. They could possibly be a John the Baptist's disciples. We don't know. But Jesus' disciples, the twelve, right, seem to think that they own the rights to do such work. We're doing that. Why are they doing that? We tried to stop them. And what did Jesus do? Well, that's good. Just, it's just us right here. No, he didn't do that. He rebuked them for trying to stop them. They, they didn't have to be a part of this group in order to do a work in the name of Jesus. This, this is not saying they were doing something wrong or off in their teaching or were off in their teaching and, and that that was okay. They weren't saying that. Jesus was not saying that. Because we know very well what Jesus has to say, what the word has to say in regards to false teachers, those who deceive, right? And so I don't want to embellish on this statement that Jesus uh, made and, and make it to say that we shouldn't point out false teachers and false teaching because I've read some commentaries that say such a thing. Let them do their thing. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus. Well, that's not what we read here. You see, there's plenty of scripture that warns us of false teachers and to point them out and to stay away from them. If you're writing down notes, you can, and I'll, I'll give you a list. I have a bunch. See, uh, there's a 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. There's 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 
There's Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Hey, so much for not naming, right? The, the pastor who is not willing to name false teachers is not really fulfilling scripture. Teaches, but is not walking it out. Fearful of man, but unfortunately not fearful of God. No, we, we must expose them. Right? There's a reason why we do not sing Bethel, Hillsong, and Jesus Culture songs here. I don't want to point anyone to them. They, they are false teachers. It's a false doctrine. And so we simply stay away from them. There's other scripture. I, I'll r- ramble off all these. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Matthew chapter f- uh, 7, verse 15. 2 Peter 2, verse 1, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Jude 1, 4, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, and the list goes on. So in case there's any dispute, right? There is absolutely no, this is not what Jesus was telling them. Just compromise, don't worry about what they're teaching. No, that's not what he's saying. Because he was not teaching compromise as it pertains to false teaching, but the actual work of the Lord. Do not attempt to stop others from doing work in the name of the Lord, even giving a cup of water in the name of Christ, because you belong to Christ. That act will be rewarded, let alone casting out a demon in the name of Christ. You want to be great? Be unified and encourage the work of the Lord. Psalm 133 once says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's a reward for those who serve in the name of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. There is a reward for serving in the name of Jesus. So we see Jesus' mission, his greatness, and reward. And in closing, I want to say, remember that these things were being taught by Jesus to his disciples. It was critical that they knew why he came and what it was to live in his name. I hope that perhaps we have a clear understanding of what that looks like this morning. But again, they, as we do, needed to be teachable. Are you teachable? The power of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And I'll leave you with this quote by C.H. Spurgeon. Quote, If your theology doesn't change your behavior... It will never change your destiny. Heavenly Father, as we consider that which we have come to believe, that we claim to believe, Lord, your word tells us that it has a a transforming work in our lives. Lord, there, there ought to be evidence 
in private and in public. Others ought to know that we are new creatures in Christ. And as we are, there's evidence of salvation. Lord, we are at that point given, yielded to your authority in our lives, Lord, because we desire to just bless and honor you, to glorify you, to display gratitude because of the salvation that we have come to know by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we ought to learn how to be teachable, how to yield to you, humbling ourselves before you. But it first starts with salvation, and I pray Father, if there's any here who have not yielded, Lord, who have not come to know the forgiveness of their sins, have not come to know eternal life in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That as they confess their sins to you and cry out to you and asking that Jesus be Lord and Savior, that you would hear the genuine cry of their hearts, Lord, that they would lay everything before you, all their burdens, Lord, and know that they have been forgiven and assured of eternal life in your glory. I pray, Lord, that they would rejoice and know that they belong to you and for your church. Oh, Lord, may we be teachable, humble, yielded to you, for you are worthy of being praised. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.